So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day. Hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. Mmm. That's nice. Is this all spruced up? Winter ale? Hellbent? It is very sprucey. It's a little denser than some of our last few beers. Um, but how is it? It's delicious. That's what it is. What do you think? I agree. I concur. Wise words. <laughs> um, so we are going to do some first impressions on two genre pictures coming out this month and then early 2019. But before that, I was going to update the listeners on some titles we've done first impressions for that got pushed back. What do we got? We have Serenity, which was supposed to come out this year. Matthew McConaughey and Hathaway picture. Um, I think Diane Lane might have been in it too. And uh, Jimin Hunsu. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's coming out in January 2019. I think it's January 19th, 2019, if I remember off the top of my head correctly. Not too much longer there. And then we recently talked about Her Smell, a little Elizabeth Moss picture, mm-hmm. also pushed back to March 2019. Additionally, High Life, the new Claire Denis movie, has been pushed to Q1 2019. And lastly, Under the Silver Lake has been pushed to April 2019. Fingers crossed that it actually comes out then, right? Correct. This is uh, the second time it's been delayed, correct? Mm-hmm. And then I have two indefinite possible delays that I should mention in fabric mm. has zero non-festival release mm. dates currently All right. um, nothing is scheduled like they, they don't even have a possibility of when it would come out which is quite worrying it might remain on the festival circuit until it picks up distribution yeah and then um, the um, the life and art or the the Art and Life, whatever that title is, uh, the Pauline Kael documentary. Oh, right, um, right. Has absolutely zero news. Um, and it mm. appears to still be receiving Indiegogo funding. Oh, wow. So, um, and documentar- or documentary.org is still allowing donations for the documentary. Wow. So I don't know what that means because people have watched it, but it's still receiving money for production. Mm. So hard to so say. So our listeners can literally go fund this movie. They can. Interested. They can. <laughs> they could. <laughs> um, while researching, did you see if any of these were for good reasons or bad reasons, or I'll just see this? The um, Under the Silver Lake is being pushed for, um, according to A24, yeah. a good reason. They want to launch it in an open window. I think April mm. 19th is about uh, <clears throat> 10 days before um, Avengers 2 comes out. Mm. Yeah. And it should be about a month after Captain Marvel. Got it. Um, so it, it and it should be after Shazam as well. So like all mm-hmm. the um, all the titles that would normally entice a teenager to go watch, yeah, might be out of theaters or already watched by then. So all the teen viewers that I think they're yeah. counting on with this release, yeah, will actually come watch. Got it. Makes sense. Um, High Life, just a uh, uh, choice. Probably just too busy of a fall. Yeah, too Wait. flooded. Yeah. Um, and I think that Claire Denise is working on that new picture, so maybe they want to release them closer together so that Claire is kind of building up a, a repertoire. I think that they acquired both her films. 
Got it. Uh, cool. This distribution company. Her yeah. smell, not a clue. Yeah. Probably just a money choice. Yeah, I think that happened this year with Gold Next. It's like it got released in January. Yeah. Um, so, similar deal. And then Serenity, that's tough. That's I really tough. thought that, I, that... I think it means that they don't think they can get an award. That's what I thought. Yeah, I yeah. thought for sure it would be up for performances, right? Yeah, like at least release it in two cities like they did with Hostiles last year on yeah. December 31st. Yeah. But um, who knows? I guess they're not that confident. I don't know. I thought sound design was a real possibility. Climax? Have you seen a date for that yet? Climax is 100% off the books. Oh, right wow. Now. Zero announcements, zero news. Uh, I think it's playing in Spain, mm. but... You know, that's where he lives, so... Yeah. Tough. Yeah. <laughs> we'll wait. Uh, so should we watch this Netflix Sandra Bullock genre trailer? Let's do it. It's Bird Box. Bird Box. What's going on? People describe seeing an entity that takes on the form of your worst fears. Oh, my God. What are you looking at? What did you see? What is wrong with you? Please stop it! can't stay here. Every contact we have had with the outside has brought us death. Your kids, they deserve hope. Every single decision I have made has been for them. We just watched the trailer for Suzanne Byers' Bird Box, starring Sandra Bullock. Yes, we did. What do you think? I am cautiously optimistic. Um, as we just mentioned off-air, um, I've only seen one of Suzanne's previous works, The Night Manager, which you saw as well, mm -hmm. right? Loved it. Yeah, I liked it too, I think, if I remember cor correctly. It's been a while. Um, I remember it. I seem to remember it fondly. Um, it was shot well, but I think that... Yeah. It's strength as plot mechanics and yeah. screenplay, which is, um, you know, the story it's based on. Yeah. Not yeah. necessarily her direction. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, it maybe looks just a tad gimmicky to yes. me. Um, but that can sometimes be just what you need to, you know, stage some cool set pieces. Did you um, see Cargo? Cargo? No. Martin I don't know Freeman that one. zombie picture set in Australia. I like what you're saying, but Came no. out this year. Um, some people liked it. Yeah. I hated it. Okay. I'm kind of worried that this might be like that. Got it. Where the outside of the fence is supposed to be really scary, mm. but mm. you're showing me very staged um, mm. violence situations. I don't know yeah. if you remember that first scene in the street where there's all these people running in car crashes. Yeah. But that yeah. just screamed staged to me. Definitely. Instead of like... Yeah. Um, there, there's certain... Um, films where that doesn't feel that way like children yeah. of men's opening terrorist sequence definitely that feels yeah. more real yeah. and i am worried that this will feel very machinated i agree the the trailer feels a little it does uh you feel the artifice i guess yeah um a little worried about trevante Rhodes to go from the predator to mm -hmm. something like this I'm, I'm 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 not sure why he's leaning in to this kind of fair necessarily after money well, yeah, that's actually a great reason to yeah, do it. Yeah, that's normally why actors do what they do. <laughs> that's a great question. This is quite the, the cast, though. It is. It is. Uh, Sarah Paulson. Love Sarah Paulson. 
John well, Malkovich. Love John yeah, Malkovich. Yeah. Uh, God, what has he been in recently? Alita um, Battle Angel herself, Rosa Salazar. Oh, was she in the trailer? Uh-huh. So, was she a daughter? Uh, no. No, just a side character. Um, Got it. <laughs> she probably dies pretty quickly. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. I guess, instead of talking about all these things, what do you think this is about? Um, so I get the sense you, you threw out the word bird flu. Yeah. I, I do get the sense that perhaps, I don't know, it kind of looks like an epidemic, but then they're talking about creatures, right? Yeah, but they're, I, yeah, good point. I don't know. I'm literally, I, I, I'm they, a little confused between those They talk about hallucinations two. of the, your worst fear, and they show Sarah Paulson's eyes get all, um, messed up. Yeah. And then... It ends with Sandra Bullock being attacked in a boat while she's pointing yeah. a gun blindfolded. Mm-hmm. So, I... I Unclear. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm uh, worried that this movie tried to put a hat on a hat instead of just being good. Right. Um, she had previously directed Serena, mm-hmm. which it, by all rights should have been a good movie. Jennifer Lawrence, Bradley Cooper, um, perhaps what the early 2000s will be remembered for is this acting duo's great mm. fantastic works yeah um but she managed to mess that up and That's i'm worried good. she might manage to mess up all these stars as well yeah. um i was i was a lot more excited by the cover than i am from this trailer to be honest i would agree i have been very intrigued and this was maybe just a slight letdown but um still interested just to yeah. see what it yeah and we only have a couple weeks to wait so yeah Listeners, too. Everywhere, worldwide, 21st. I like Stay it. Stay up late. Uh, Sweet. Now let's get to something I'm a little bit more excited for. The trailer for Captive State with John Goodman. Let's do it. Unemployment is the lowest in history. Poverty has been eradicated. is non-existent. All right, we just watched the trailer for Captive State, starring John Goodman and Vera Farmiga, it looks like. Mm -hmm. What'd you think, Taylor? I am very excited for this genre picture. This is a much better made genre picture by the looks of it, even though we're only seeing bits of footage that are complete. Loosely cut together with Mm. uh, white dialogue kind of giving us the implication. It appears that aliens have taken over Earth and are using an artificial intelligence system Mm. to control things um, Mm. on the street level. It Mm. reminds me of a... um, It loosely reminds me of a Dave Bautista picture I watched earlier this year Mm. um, in which they battle in some... A suburb of new york i can't remember exactly what the title is but it's named for that city gotcha. um in which like you don't expect a war could break out or like slavery could exist or like racism yeah. could happen but yeah. all these things are happening and that appears to be what this is where uh there's women being carried away um by their callers mm-hmm. looking behind them at people getting murdered while the ai is telling us to give thanks yeah yeah and also just a better trailer I think this mm-hmm. did a better job of piquing my interest, whereas the other one I think I saw kind of exactly what we're getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, haven't seen John Goodman in anything in a while. Excited to see him do just a straight genre picture like this. Um, isn't that another kid from Moonlight? Isn't that the middle-aged? I was thinking the same thing, but right? I don't know his name. So <laughs> I, I was like, did you 
deliberately do these? I, I, <laughs> we have a movie. I like did. It. I am a genius. Yep. I am a savant, yep. and I take all credit for any accidents that ever happen. Well chosen. That are good accidents. Very well chosen. Um. Yeah, I'm very intrigued. Um, do you know if it has an R rating? No, it has not been submitted to the MPAA. It has not got it. completed shooting. Yeah, um, because we just got a couple glimpses of what looks like could be some pretty gruesome fare. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am curious to see just how how hard they lean into that and what exactly is occurring in those scenes. Those were nicely um, sort of ambiguous in what exactly is going on, but I was a little chilled nonetheless. Do you think John Goodman is a human or a host for an alien? Well, actually, after what you said, I think that's a great insight. He does look like a host to me, perhaps. So, I think that's probably spot on. Yeah, I was thinking Men in Black. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not too far off. Not at all. I'm excited. This will be a good one to see in the theater. Oh, yeah. This is why A-List was made. Yes, exactly. Well, without further ado, shall we uh, shirk this title and get into shirkers? Let's do it. When I was 18... The thing I wanted more than anything was to make a movie. I had the idea that you found freedom by building worlds inside your head. That you had to go backwards in order to go forwards. But I never imagined it would end this way. All right. We are talking about the Netflix original documentary, Shirkers, directed by Sandy Tan. Correct. If I remember correctly. Um, well, wasn't it directed by George? Aha. Let's dig in. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like this movie. You did not like this movie. All right. Cool. <laughs> um, I don't mean that to come off scathing or like reductive. Mm. I would be very interested in probably at least admire if not love the original film that this documentary mm. is made about yep um it falls into that documentary trap that we opened with all of those months ago on mm. three identical strangers in which oh the way that the um interview style of the mm. person um who's maybe the star of the documentary is not something i appreciate that's it you know, like, it, it's really all at her feet. I don't think it's a mm. bad documentary. Mm. I just do not enjoy this type. Yeah, you say the interview were... Do you mean you don't like her as a narrator or the people she's interviewing? Like I mean, I don't like when she's, ac- ask, she's answering her own questions. Mm. Gotcha. Or when she's reflecting without any consideration for responsibility. Mm. Oh, say more. Um, she basically never admits that she could be culpable at all she never self-reflects and and um regrets the way that she's always reflecting Mm. is as a victim Mm. which i don't really i I mean i get feeling like a victim in Mm. that moment and that she was a victim yeah but i think that um as an adult in retrospect instead of feeling like a victim you should notice Mm. where you could have done something correctly Mm. instead of just continuing to orate how you were the victim of circumstance Mm. and people what was it you thought she should do differently? I just the the way that she inserted dialogue, yeah. or the way that dialogue was inserted. I don't know who edited this. Um, mm-hmm. Was so like like all of her friends were criticizing 
her, but also mm. admiring her. Mm. But she was only making herself seem innocent and a victim. Mm. And that contrast, I, I don't necessarily know exactly how you would make it different because I'm so far away from the film. Mm. Uh, I think I watched it a week and a half ago now, so I don't remember exactly, but I remember like yeah. she would cut in, um, and and there were good moments where she would cut in, um, specifically when she's with the wife who still or the ex-wife who requests or the widow who requests yeah. to have her face blocked, um, mm-hmm. and she's talking about what it's like to be on this trip. Yeah, that was good first person. Uh-huh. That was good first person. The um, the preceding stuff in which she's going over the process and and. Um, you're hearing her friends talk about how Sandy was being kind of a bitch. Yeah. And she's yeah. just acting like she's a victim the whole time um, mm. and not responsible for what seems like it could have been a great movie mm. and also responsible for what happens um, in so much as she is responsible mm. for not um, following through on that stuff, even though she didn't know she needed, mm. needed to. As an adult, you should know. As a critic, you should know what you did wrong. And as with a, her as, friends, you mean? No, or... with, with the project. How mm. she lost the project to George. Mm. Um, I it. think as a film critic, if she's been criticizing film mm. for over a decade, two yeah. decades, she should be able to bring some insight to the viewer about what she could have mm. done differently. So that mm. this isn't just a woe is me. This is a woe is me. Don't do this. Here's how gotcha. to not do this. Maybe, gotcha. Is yeah. how I would have enjoyed it more. Got it. But that's yeah. just my bias. It's not yeah. necessarily bad. I just didn't like it. Yeah. I don't like that yeah. what was me stuff. So I think I I think I partially agree. I think there were there were two problems that held me back from loving it, even though I did like it quite a bit. One was that even though she kind of alludes to the fact that she has since become aware of how she maybe treated her friends over the course of making the film, uh, kind of crappy. And her friends say, like, yeah, you were kind of an asshole. I don't think she ever really, like, turns the camera on herself and is ever really, um, I don't think she ever really owns that. Um, she sort of lightly admits it, but I don't know that she ever really turns this into an apology, which I think would have been sort of just a satisfying gesture to those people who say, look, this was kind of terrible for us like we did not have fun making this well i mean some of them say that but they say you were kind of you know crappy to us during Mm -hmm. this process i don't know that she ever really owns that part of the process um additionally i think she builds up a little bit too much mystery around george in light of what she ultimately found out about him which i think was a little less than satisfying which is fine like i don't know that's really any fault of her own like the fact that he took it and we don't really have a great answer for why that's not really her fault but you know you make a documentary you you know own whatever sort of resolution you give the audience i'd even push back i feel like we know why like he's a broken person Mm. he he doesn't know how to he, he doesn't want to fail, but he also wants to never, he wants to be remembered as a, as a success who was attached to important projects. Yeah. But he never yeah. wants to put himself in a situation to fail, it seems. Yeah. So by making it and keeping it in all yeah. of its glory, it still is this glorious idea, but yeah. you never have to receive the criticism for it. Right. Completely agree. I guess I was maybe expecting because of how that mysterious tone was sort of. Um, building my expectations 
for there to be a bit more of like an oh my gosh moment mm. when it's more just like oh okay he just was an insecure dude yeah um and a little bit of a weirdo yep and he just wanted to take these things from these people because he was insecure mm-hmm. um you know that doesn't really provide like a ton of relief from this tension that i think she did i thought she handled pretty well um but i guess i would disagree on the victim part like i guess i felt like she was a, a victim of theft i thought for me she did no, I, I agree that that is true yeah i don't think it's a useful way of portraying the story though hmm. um she's a critic she has been for two decades right yeah, yeah keeping that, like that in mind do you think that that's a good movie for someone who knows what movies should be like for 20 years totally i thought uh, I, I disagree that's that's maybe the crux of it like i feel like someone should have made something hmm. more tight i feel like it was hmm. too loose hmm I mean, I, I thought the craft was delightful. I mean, delightful is not the right word. I overuse that word. Um, when you say the craft, do you mean the uh, footage of the original film or do you mean the documentary um, both, footage? Both. Okay. As I said that, I was referring to the documentary, but I think the footage of Shirkers, the fictional feature, also looks fascinating. It does. Um, but I think the um, documentary is crafted in such a way to... Um, involve me in what this process felt like for her. Um, so I would agree, like, the tone of the narration does express um, sort of devastation. But I think she she just involved me in the process that way. She showed me what movies meant to her, how excited she was as a result to make her own, and then have that taken away. I was like, God, that just sounds like terrible that sounds oh i absolutely agree but i feel like all that emotion happened in the first 30 minutes and it continued for quite some time after that yeah and that's maybe where i separate like i i follow that emotional journey and i i was like for the first 30 minutes i was like this is really good yeah and then it was just her talking about what happened to her Mm. and not so much that it also happened to her friends Mm. or um that she's glad that he didn't hurt anyone else after her like she mm. she just kind of always remains focused on herself in this really myopic way mm. that i just personally find distasteful i agree i mean that is kind of interesting how in the process of making this documentary she learns from her friends that she was um, a little selfish in the making of that movie similarly she is a little self-centered in the making of this documentary i would agree she is interviewing them but it does feel like it is her movie, and you kind of wonder, um, like, why isn't this sort of um, a collective effort? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you could argue that she's the director of this documentary. She, she's the one who made it, um, so she gets to tell it from her perspective. Um, but I do wish that she was um, just maybe a little more, um, she, she just owned more wholeheartedly. Um, how she treated them when they were very clear about it not being terribly fun. I, I completely agree. And I think that what you said best says what I don't know how to say, which is mm. she's the director of this documentary. Mm-hmm. She's wholly responsible mm-hmm. of this documentary. And within it, she didn't take any responsibility for her previous project. And that's, mm. you know, I some people don't mind. I just mind that 
Like, what do you mean? She, the guy just jacked it from her. He's t- he took it. What was she supposed to do? Well, she could have followed up. It wasn't I think she did? Like, I don't I don't remember if she like. You mean like she just should have called him, followed him more? I think he just yeah. took off. Like, I, I I don't remember the specifics. But I, no. wasn't the idea he just disappeared? Yeah. So the the thing to me is like, if you love this movie that you made and he mm. took it. How do you not do more to get it? Mm. If it meant that much to you, how do you not do more to go get it? If you spent your mm. life savings on it, mm. how do you not just fly over there? Mm. You know that he has a wife. Go get mm. in contact with her. You know her name. Mm. F- you know, figure it out. Um, mm. I can't imagine loving something enough to make a documentary about it, but not enough to, you know, chase it down when you know who could possibly mm. know something yeah instead of just making phone calls when you know that he won't talk on the phone yeah yeah i mean i guess i don't remember the specifics of his separation i guess i just got the sense that she was she was the kid in the situation she was a teenager and she was. she she trusted him he was the mentor but she's an adult now and she's been criticizing film for a long time I, yeah but I she's talking about the different. experience of of her as a kid she got yeah. her movie jacked she doesn't know where he went i don't know like if I lived in Singapore and I was a, an 18-year-old kid and some American took my 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 film, the reels, and then flew to America, I don't know how I would track him down. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I see what you're saying, but um, I just disagree. That's right. I, I think that um, when you love something, you, you go after it. Um, yeah. And she seemed to really love this project. Yeah. So my criticism is just that she didn't love it enough to go after mm. it soon enough, damn it. Yeah. I would yeah. love to have watched this movie. Um, I thought it was interesting that she drew mm. a correlation to Ghost World. Because oh, I, yeah. I did yeah. feel Ghost World um, during the scenes before that she does that alliteration bit where she's comparing yeah. uh, films yeah. that she thinks are comparable to it. She grabbed a Wes Anderson film. I don't remember which one. Maybe it was Rushmore. Mm. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and yeah. it was just kind of comparing this indie boom that happened in the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I definitely see some quality there. I, I like I feel like I would give this the movie that she made a three and a half. Mm, yeah. I just um, didn't quite enjoy the documentary style. Yeah. Oh, style. Even like the... The voiceover think, style. The voiceover. Yeah. 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 Um, I thought it was very pleasing to look at as a documentary i would criticize its structure i think that Mm. you would introduce the friends of george a little quite Mm. a bit sooner um Mm. not have them say much but have them say that they had a similar experience to what she had leave Mm. that as a hanging fruit or Mm. or a carrot in front of me so that i'm Mm. i'm continuing to watch with these ideas in mind instead of Mm. just um painting george into this weird Mm. character yeah, that it's funny. This is the same uh, difference we had with Three Identical Strangers. You're right. Because to me, again, like, I felt like I am I was experiencing this journey as she experienced it. Like, I, at the start of the movie, she's a teenager. I'm learning about her, her cinephilia, which leads to her wanting to make a movie um, and eventually getting it taken away and then embarking on this journey as an adult to figure out what the hell happened. Um, but you want to know the ending first, so you know. No, I don't want to know the ending. Mm. I want to know that there is this 
corollary track that we're going to follow to the to the end for her Mm -hmm. um and instead of saving all the the george meat for the very end of it Mm -hmm. i think you start and you you say like this character you're watching george this character you're hearing about that's taking these weird car rides with a teenage girl who's underage and trying to put the moves on her he's a weird guy in more than this context Mm. and here's a brief snippet of that interview with the fellow who worked on sex lies and videotape Mm. i don't know if you remember but he he basically says like i had the same experience as sandy yeah so if you take that part and you put it somewhere Mm. in the first 30 minutes Mm. then i think it's just more interesting to watch george get that in mind yeah that's interesting um I, mean, I, I I think she she lured me in nonetheless, but I could see that approach working. Um, to me, it's just it's just different, I guess. Um, and uh, the 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 craft itself was exciting enough for me to just enjoy the experience, um, despite some of those other reservations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to me, it had sort of a um, scrappy kind of collage like aesthetic. I think it did um, in the beginning. Yeah, I, yeah. I have the same criticism. Second half. I yeah. think I think the second half a lot of the strengths in the beginning faded. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. Um, as you get more up to her investigation, um, to me that's where it's harder to apply the craft in a really interesting fashion when the narrative kind of sputters because her discoveries are just only so interesting yeah um we already know what she discovered we've seen yeah she finds some solace in meeting this guy who had something similar like you said um but i don't know that that was the um just you know moment of relief or discovery that would would really just tell me that i need to go tell everyone i know what broke to your watch heart this. the most um I don't know, probably right around the time she's describing waiting, 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 just expecting contact from George. Mm. Um, I mean, I can think about, this is such a silly analogy, just the feeling when you have something valuable, like the only thing coming to mind right now is like your wallet. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh my God, like, did I lose my wallet? You know, that just the feeling in your stomach that when that kind of drops, when you I could see that building. When you your keys around your belt loop and you're checking yeah. your coat pockets. Yeah. I think for me, she had done enough of a job to show me what movies meant to her hmm. um, to involve me in that process and that sort of panic of being like, oh my God, like, I don't know that he's going to reach out to me. Like, I don't know what happened. Um, that was pretty devastating. Um, but... I would agree. That's kind of the midpoint. And then half two is investigation. Not as exciting. Which I think that if you introduce the the prospect of investigation sooner, maybe mm. that second half has more weight to it. Mm. But almost the way it was constructed, the first half, when it comes to an end, you feel like it's over. And mm. then the documentary continues. And that might be mm. part of my criticism. Just the... They didn't. She didn't get it structured in the, and give it the best opportunity to have mm. its full runtime have weight. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's just, you know, I, we just watched um the Love Me When I'm Dead, a couple mm. weeks ago. 
Yeah. And I think that a lot of my negativity might stem from seeing something like this done so much better. Mm. Um, and I just can't help that. Like, I mm. can't remove that from my brain to try to get more objective on this one. Mm. I thought about trying to, and I, I just don't know how. I've already, I'd yeah. already fully processed it so much that... Yeah. There's just a lot of negativity in this title when I think about it, which isn't it's not fair. sitting well. Um, and I, I think that it's really sad that she lost her movie, and yeah. I really would love to see it. I think that it's. Um, I also think it's really stupid that she chose to make a documentary about this instead of spending the money mm. on redubbing the mm. picture. Mm. I that was one thing that kept running through my head, like, you have how much money to make this documentary? and you're not just going to take all the footage and get the sounds for it re-record yeah. everything if you have a good movie that just needs sound get the sound <laughs> yeah yeah um that's just that's a fair. little bit selfish on my part i just want to watch the movie. it's hard to not want to watch that movie right it does look great um i would agree you kind of wonder if she got involved in this process of making the documentary hoping for a better resolution than she ultimately found and then decided it's possible i've made the documentary um but i agree I, you, I you'd wonder the... what sort of possibility she had to actually release it yeah when she had it did you get the sense that she'd already shot the back half before she'd recorded the first half audio like she'd already oh, shot of the documentary the investigation before she recorded the first part of the documentary i hadn't thought about that in hindsight i think that's possible if it was shot kind that, of out of order i think yeah. that might be one of the things that bothered intangibly that mm. i didn't feel like i was actually going on the journey mm. i felt like she took it and then was giving me her perspective on what she wanted me to take away from her journey mm. whereas yeah. i would have rather gone on the journey mm. yeah um i don't know how you would get like it, at least it's chronological though right she starts with at least it starts with her as a teenager like that's linear right mm -hmm. um, but we're still hearing everyone's voice interviews mm -hmm. um interjected with within that timeline right and right. i think that it is extremely likely that all of that was done after she'd conducted the investigation yeah probably and and maybe that just added a feeling of in authenticity yeah it, where i, I just that. maybe couldn't buy in that i was on the journey with her mm, like there was something yeah. intangible that i can't really put my finger on that made me feel like she was showing me what she wanted to show me and that i wasn't really mm. going on an investigation with her like i wasn't going to mm. see the things she didn't want me to see you know mm. oh i could see that um yeah i, I felt like that anytime s somebody talked about how their experience was less than ideal and i was waiting for more of a response from her and i thought this seems a little guarded mm -hmm. um i wish she had sort of let her guard down just a little bit more um so i could see that that makes sense um you can tell me more about shirkers why it's good um well i think up until that point that we really do shift into investigation mode um I thought it did a great job of just involving me in her love of movies. Uh, I thought the references were really seamlessly integrated. Um, I thought I got a sense for 
what the tone of Shirker's the fictional future would be like because of the style she applied to the documentary. Um, I thought the score was great. Um, the oohs and the ahs. Um, I thought that was atmospheric and that added to kind of this surreal, um, mysterious tone to the documentary, which is ironic. Like, that's what was going to go in the inner feature. Um, I thought that was very um, nicely handled. Um, and I thought, you know, there's a good mix of footage from the documentary along with um, footage of those references, the animation. Um, I thought that was all um, really nicely put together um, that convinced me of just how much you love movies and how much this meant to her. This really hinges on whether or not you believe that she wanted this really badly. Um, and I think she got me there through the craft. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. I just, <laughs> that's cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I wish that I could see it that way is how yeah. I'd put it. You know, like I, that's all very valid and very true. I imagine yeah. it's just, why couldn't she have made another feature? You know, yeah. why, why couldn't she have audio dubbed that feature? Yeah. Um, yeah. That, I, I just feel like there's something that I can't put my finger on that's insincere about this documentary. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. And it might just be that she doesn't formally apologize to her friends. Could be that mm. simple. I, I don't really know, but something yeah. just feels insincere about it. To me. I agree. Um, and, you know, I gave this, what'd you give it? Two? Yeah, I gave it a three and a half. Um, so to me, it's I kind of think of three and a halves as like solid, but they're also C's, like they're average. Like to me, they're that's kind of how they're I think C about pluses. They can't be if we're getting into our you know one zero to a hundred yeah. scales. Um, I, I think you gave the other side of or you gave the day uh, the love me when I'm dead three and a half as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably ah uh, they're probably and, pretty close, and that's where I'd like really go like are are you kidding me like one documentary mm. is much more um abrasive in non mm. um you, you know it's not holding like the the subject's hand in trying to make things better mm. or portray um some sort of, of soup superficiality onto it mm. orson welles is being criticized and it just mm. so happens that he also made great films yeah yeah and what happens in Shirkers is she may have made a great film, but she doesn't take any of the onus. So mm. for me, it it just kind of it it separates there. And mm. and yeah. for me, if I was you, I would project that I'd be a three on Shirkers and a mm. three and a half on The Love Me When I'm Well, dead. yeah. It's easy to compare them, but at the same time, uh, The Love Me When I Dead When I'm Dead still just feels too much like a bonus feature to the other side of the wind so it's hard to like really compare them like i feel like i got a story in itself from jerkers um so the analogy like isn't like i can't quite yeah no you're, right you're, you're firing uh, right back at me and i'm like <laughs> no you're right it's my favorite like extra feature it's a perfect extra feature yeah yeah <laughs> um they're both pretty close you're, you're i mean i like right. them both i mean i'm just going generally against... speaking i like them both yeah um I, I go against the grain on these types of documentaries, so I yeah. don't trust me. Watch it on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, I hope that it performs well enough 
that yeah. they decide to attempt to do an audio dub. That'd be great. Of her original title. Even if it's abbreviated and you have to interject uh, title cards to tell me like what's happening or what mm-hmm. would actually um, be the sound going, I would mm. be very interested to watch someone attempt to put the footage together yeah. without the sound. Um, or I, I'm much more interested in that artistic attempt than um, what happened. Yeah, I, I'd rather see the picture. I agree. Looks looks dope. It did. It did look dope. <laughs> <laughs> Sandy Tan, go make that movie. Cheers. Cheers. My wife had to go for a two week vacation, so I just cooked carrots and ate them. Diet food. I never eat carrots that it was that good before. I think it worked. He ate them all. Yep. Well, not think it worked. Diet food, but I drank a lot of beer. It helped wash it down. Oh, okay. Right. I couldn't figure out. I was saying, I don't think it worked. <laughs> <laughs> this documentary, I liked a little bit better. All right. A little bit better. Moving in the right direction. We're going to the mid of the country, the mid of the United States of America. We're going to Monrovia, Indiana. Yes, we are. We're about to be whisked away. Whisked away, indeed. <sighs> what a journey it's going to be. Hold on. I need to go spend 26 minutes in a funeral proceeding. Yes, it's a long take. It was a very long take. So we're talking about the Frederick Wiseman documentary, Monrovia, Indiana. We saw this a little over a week ago now, right? At, I think exactly a week, right? Yep. Yeah. Northwest Film Forum here in Seattle. I liked it quite a bit. You were positive, but a little cooler than me. So-so. Mm-hmm. So-so. Okay. Um, I think this was, uh, for both of us, our first Frederick Wiseman documentary. Yes. Made like a hundred or something. Of fame, he did Ex Libris last year. Is that mm-hmm. correct? That's right. That's the that New York the uh, Library. It's like three and a half hour documentary. Mm-hmm. And somehow reading the reviews of that, it feels like we should have watched that one instead because it would have gone by <laughs> faster. It's possible. <laughs> <laughs> then this two-hour documentary went by. This was lengthy. Um, so yeah, we were approaching this as non-Wiseman aficionados. Correct. And off of quite a few feature films. So I was not ready for the steady gate yes. of him as a documentary. And we went into this. You were very hungry. Are you hungry for more Wiseman? Um, I am. Oh, cool. Okay. I am, in spite of this, in spite of the way that I felt about this title, I am mm-hmm. very hungry for Ex Libris mm-hmm. and probably like three other. I'd probably just hop on Letterboxd, look at the top documentaries that he's made. Yeah. And just try to try to watch them. I, yeah. I, I. Just because I didn't love this documentary doesn't mean it wasn't great. Yeah. I think it yeah. was great. I just didn't particularly like it. Mm. Um, some of that had to do with me just feeling like I was in my normal life. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and some of it having to do with the fact that I was extra textually mm. quite hungry and unable yes. to eat. <laughs> you were mad. Counting down the minutes. <laughs> um, but it's like going to an art exhibit that you don't quite understand, but that affects mm. you. Mm. It was very affecting. And I feel like I know what it was what it is like to go be in the city of Monrovia. Yeah. Um, I don't completely agree with the editing choices of what was mm. depicted and mm. how it was depicted. Mm. I think that there was quite a bit of um, bias 
being mm. exhibited by him as a documentarian in some of the scenes. Mm. But I I do feel like within the city limits of Monrovia, I know what the average earner is doing. Mm. Yeah. And remind me, and listener, where you grew up. I grew up here in Washington. Right, but like what specific town? Uh, Arlington, Machias, Stanwood. Got it. Yeah, because coming out of the movie, you said this felt just like Arlington to me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, Arlington or Stanwood. Right. So, yeah, as, as I was thinking about that, I was like, it's a good point. Like, would I want to watch a documentary like this about my hometown? Probably not. I don't know that it would show me anything interesting or illuminate anything for me no like um, the most interesting thing to me was how long it took them to go over the fact that they wanted to make two benches in the lions mm, club right because what ever since i've been little i've mm. always wondered like what goes on in the lions club yeah <laughs> and now i know you've been dying huh? <laughs> i've been dying to know <laughs> so yeah that was actually kind of helpful for me because i thought to myself i would not want to watch this about my own hometown Fort Collins Colorado yeah but I think this is the kind of documentary that I would want made about my hometown to show to somebody else Mm -hmm. for them to see what it feels like to live in Fort Collins Colorado Mm -hmm. and what the people do what the rituals are like yeah what they talk about um what their biases might be what the institutions are yeah um what the, the problems are um but yeah I mean how can you argue with somebody who like if somebody did go to the New York Public Library every single day like would a lo- would one of those librarians be interested in Ex Libris maybe but that also sounds like it might be tremendously boring for them yeah yeah i think that the reason ex libris is interesting is because i i love books personally yeah and so yeah. the idea of the New York libraries in my head is a very mm. uh lovely idea Mm. Um, it goes back to like page master lore, yeah, you know? where, yeah. where yeah. like I, ju- I just got a or movie, yeah, I've got yeah. A, this romantic entanglement with libraries mm. and books, and I think it would be very interesting to see what is considered the most prolific mm. library in yeah. a documentary form. Yeah, but yeah, it d- did just make me realize having not seen any of his other docs, I, I assume that everybody's probably going to have their own favorite Wiseman just based on where you're from, what you do and what institutions therefore interest you and mm-hmm. what places interest you. Right? Like this for you, I think you maybe even said this, it was just too close to home. Yeah. You're like, this isn't, this isn't that foreign to me. It might be in Indiana, no, it, but it did not feel foreign. Yeah. The only like, thing that it made that? me realize yeah. was that I'd prefer to live in Pawnee. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Rather just chill with Leslie. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, go go see how Tom Haverford is doing. Yeah, checking on DJ Roomba. You know. Yeah, but do you think the the style interested you enough that you would um, be interested in the docs? Yeah, of I am interested, and I think that extra textually, I'm really interested in him manifesting his biases in what he chooses to show. Mm. Because he goes to these really non-biased shots of the farmland. Mm-hmm. of um making meat and making pizza mm-hmm. um and traffic and the fair and these these old men singing the song for nobody in the crowd mm-hmm. um you know these are these are great documentary footage takes mm-hmm. and then he spends a lot of time showing um non-verbal racism Mm. 
and um, I do question that choice because I, I think it's important to have it. Yeah. But he kept going back to it. It was a focal point. It was that was in those meetings. Yes. Right? Yeah. The there there town is council um, meetings. I guess there is a a woman who is repeatedly using terminologies and phrases that you can tell she's beating around the bush when she's saying she's not saying what she means. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's important to show that at least the first mm-hmm. time. But she he kept going back. I think he goes back three or four times. That um, same group. Yeah, to that same group and her doing something that is extra textually racist mm-hmm. from what we understand about Monrovia. Um, whereas he does this school shot where the kids are in band and then he pans over and he really makes you feel how few African Americans are in this community mm, yeah. by yep. going over the stadium bleachers. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was a lot better non biased like mm. way of point bringing this point across than revisiting this same group mm. um, and and I think that he tries to draw a correlation between um, I don't exactly know how to put this but he tries to draw a correlation between the um, the feelings that these people need to have expressed being expressed in church mm. openly by a pastor um, during a wedding proceeding and a funeral proceeding, mm-hmm. and then how the inverse of that is taking place in the city government. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't think that the point came across as eloquently as he intended. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, so you saw a point. You saw him trying to make a point. Yeah, I think... I. I don't know if he even knows that he's trying to make a point, but I think that mm-hmm. he sees that there is a, a there is a clear difference between what is happening in this church mm-hmm. and what is happening in these meetings, mm. and that he's cross correlating them mm. to show, um, you know, kids are always bored in this town, mm. whether they're dealing with the the teacher telling them for God knows how long, like about sports and how important that was, basketball that was. the first was shot of the Indiana. movie, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there's a, a girl who's really uh, wanting to get out of the church during, I think it's the wedding mm-hmm. proceeding. And then it's it like he's always cross-cutting back to that city council. Yeah. And one guy's always stressed out about the actual logistics of how we would make this thing work and how to change mm-hmm. things. One guy is like a really old guy who knows how things actually work. Mm-hmm. He's not too attached to getting all cut up and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then um, one lady who's older and wears glasses, like actually is kind of like on the ball a lot more yeah. than you would think. Yeah. Um, based on how her um, body language is portrayed. Mm-hmm. And then one gal's really against everything. Um, and she's kind of the racist one. Yes. Um, and the way that those are interchanged with the church proceedings, whether it's a funeral, a sermon, or a wedding, he's. I feel like there's a point there. Mm. Do you, Do you agree? I agree, but I think I mean I think that is a, an interesting question. It's like, is he unintentionally making a point or intentionally? I think that is. It's to me, it's a little hard to I, know. I think a documentary mm. filmmaker 
40 documentaries in yeah knows they're making a point if they don't know they're making a point Mm. then i would be very worried yeah i mean i guess my only counter evidence for that would be how comprehensive this documentary is in showing us just like all kinds of facets of life in monrovia and therefore well within the city limits right Right, because there's right. there's the townships right. around Monrovia that are the crucial element to the city council. And those and meetings about growth. we never go there. Yeah. We never go anywhere outside the exact city limits of Monrovia. Right, right. Which is why mm. it felt so much like Stanwood to me. Because the farmland yeah. in Stanwood is yeah. part of the city limits. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I agree. I mean, I think unintentionally or not, I think there are... I think there is a very valid argument, as you are making, about a conclusion he seems to be trying to arrive at mm-hmm. um however on the the spectrum of truth in documentary filmmaking i think i would still for my own movie going place wiseman much closer to an unbiased documentary filmmaker relative to many other documentary f- filmmakers that i've agree. seen i absolutely right? agree I mean, i'm still I think, always looking for a bias in a documentary though and sometimes yeah. i love the bias right um yeah we watched that that movie about McQueen. Mm-hmm. You did not like it. It not had so, tons of bias. Yeah. yeah. Somehow I liked it. Yeah. Five foot two had bias. We both found a way to love it. Right. This is just one of those things where I totally agree, but I think that there's bias happening. Um, and even though it's so subjectively little bias, mm-hmm. I think that this is one of... I think this is maybe one of the best documentary filmmakers that there will probably ever be. Yeah. And so I want to be even more <laughs> critical to try to understand this. Yeah. And I do think that there's a bias somewhere in there. And I think that this documentary documentary filmmaker's bias is so much more interesting than yeah. anyone else's, even though it's tiny it's because very subtle. of yeah. how important a documentary filmmaker this will be. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you can argue that just by turning on a camera and presenting whatever you shot to an audience, there is bias inherent in that, right? You have chosen to show us one thing yeah, over another, point. so it's kind of impossible to, I think one could argue it is impossible to present something truly unbiased. So to interrogate, like, whatever biases you think are there is kind of what makes this kind of documentary making interesting, yeah. right? Yeah. And do you, so I think you can't help but wonder like what didn't we see, right? Yes, that that's one of the things. Yeah, because there's definitely buildings we don't go into. Sure. Yeah. Um, we didn't see the bank from the inside. You're right. Um, and and I thought we would after the Lions Club meeting. Yeah. Um, but but the way it ends with the funeral, and mm. and the way that capstones and really feels like mm. it brings a point mm. to the documentary, um just makes me want to double down and say that he he's trying to make a point mm. and i don't know what that is mm. but i feel like it's somewhere in that cross um comparison that venn mm. diagram of what we're seeing of the non-biased mm. city the biased city council and mm. the um the spiritual fulfillment that the citizens mm. are finding within the church that's fascinating i think like you came at that scene from a slightly different angle than mine but i think our our angles probably intersect at some point that i can't pinpoint because i was just thinking more about the fact that like we get all these shots of the land itself 
just sort of unadorned. Then we're getting the land being processed, the animals being processed. We're seeing the people consuming that product in the grocery stores. We get those close shots of the fruits and the vegetables. We see the people just living on the land. And then we ultimately seeing the people go back into the land. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a great it, way of putting it. Yeah, I, me, I did not think about it like that. Right? Like it, that was kind of this circularity to it that came to mind for me. But like, how do I put that together with the like spiritual and uh, kind of governmental focus that he's also doing, right? Like, I think that's kind of t- hard, but I think they're, um, that's kind of what makes it a fun documentary, I guess. It is. Um, no, that's, I'm really glad you brought that stuff up because, like, I didn't remember the grocery store scene and stuff um, like that. But now that you say that, like, I'm starting to wonder if the farmers have more in common with the school teachers than mm. the school teachers have in common with the other government workers. Right. I agree. Which is, yeah, no, it's a very interesting, like, trifecta of, of yeah. things. Like, you can keep spinning the trifecta, and, like, the yeah. the categories that are in it change, and it still holds up as a, as a trifecta. Yeah. yeah. Th- this is a better documentary than I, than my stomach was willing to give credit <laughs> for. You were hungry, and it showed you food. We recorded two episodes before we, we did. Uh, went to see it. And then um, we, the UW had won that football game, so we stood in line mm. at Dick's for 20 minutes and did not make any progress. Correct. Uh, there were car accidents on the interstate. So by the time we arrived, we got there just in time, and then they squandered my tea. <laughs> squandered. Uh, so a, a number of incidents that didn't go your way. I had a rough Saturday. Yeah, um, and then there and, were and shots that, of pizza rolls being made, oh, and you were audibly he, groaning. And I'm were, like, "This is gonna be a two. This is gonna be a two out of five for Taylor." You, you were rolling up your coat, getting ready to stuff it in my mouth as I was making those <laughs> those delicious. Uh, mm, <laughs> Did that ever shift? Did you ever lose your appetite in this documentary? Uh, no, because there was there were some. Even when they were shooting the moments. pigs and, mm-hmm. and killing the cows, I was just like, "Ooh, that's some dead meat." <laughs> what about the What about the surgery on the dog, though? Oh, I, I wasn't crazy about that one. That, I mean, it didn't affect my appetite because I was just so hungry. <laughs> you were that hungry, but at that that, point. that was the single most abhorrent thing in the entire um, documentary, which is very interesting because yeah. the the racism that that woman exudes Mm. is so disgusting but nothing is as disgusting as bringing a dog in for voluntary surgery to cut off its tail yeah that was fair i was i was sickened but my stomach was hungry (laughs) (laughs) there you have it (laughs) yeah i remember thinking to myself like no matter where this is, I haven't ever been in a room in a in a veterinary hospital to and witness this kind of thing. Um, no matter where this is, this is this would affect me. Mm-hmm. Um, no, absolutely. And yeah, and it's only it like, should be illegal. Yeah, and it's only as these kind of images accumulate that you get a sense for this all um, characterizing a, a particular time and place. Yeah. Do you think? That it's exhibiting bias by showing us the animals dying for 
legitimately good reasons and that they're living their lives in a community like like the animals of monrovia that do get murdered don't seem to be living bad lives like they're Mm. they're getting as ethical a treatment as you could get um within this Mm. context and then it's capstoned by this thing that's going to continue to live getting this horrendous surgery yeah and i i I mean i'm not trying to criticize i i think that it might be a good use of of yeah storytelling technique Mm to show these animals that are living together mm-hmm. as they're as they are intended like they they have all their hooves you know the the process of getting them on the trailer might be troubling but it's necessary yeah. you know mm-hmm. um and then what happens to the dog at the end of the slaughterhouse you know sequence yeah. is worse than the dead animals I agree. I hadn't really put those two together. I kept kind of wondering. I'm like, is he critiquing this this farming practice? Um, I I couldn't make up my mind, and I'd be curious to hear like someone's you know like a, a member of PETA watch this documentary and see what they what they how they interpret that sequence of images. But yeah, in contrast to that dog, you're like, this seems like way more bizarre to do this relative to the what we're doing to the pigs this seems so antiquated um i hadn't really connected those but i think that's a i hadn't connected them until you started connecting the ground and then i was like oh yeah there's like nine different ways of connecting everything there's a lot of ways to tackle this (laughs) um and i feel like he does occasionally lighten the mood which i really appreciated like he did do that occasionally yeah, not a lot. I don't want to. No, bring bring up the the instance because I don't I don't well, really remember them, but I remember it, it did get lighter. Like when the kids would scoff, is what. I'm yeah, uh, the one that was coming to mind for me was when there was like a little um, mattress sale at the high school gym, and people are learning yeah. about all the bacteria that seeps into their mattress and um, the uh, the uh, liquids of the body. Yeah pretty nasty they looked uh i don't know just just nice shots of showing just you know people experiencing something like disgust like everybody does um i think i actually <laughs> dropped facts from that scene within a week after watching really movie to someone nice. like, yeah did you know this <laughs> yeah um but even that like kind of shows me just you know it reinforces how small the town is that this would happen in like the high school gym mm-hmm. Um, like I would go to the mattress store if I was gonna buy a mattress. Which one? There's like nine of them. I might go to Amazon. Actually, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you might get a Casper. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, there's um, like the, you know, where we're at in a in this metropolis of a city. Mm-hmm. There's just so much. It, it is very interesting to think about what it's like to live in Middle America. Yeah. Um, which this does really well. I think that it it feels like going to the art museum. Mm-hmm. It feels like you experience um, something. And I've had plenty of art museum experiences that have profoundly changed the way that I look at the world or understand the world, but that I didn't enjoy. Mm. And I'd, I'd say that this is like that. It's not like watching a movie that's bad. It's mm. like going to an art exhibit you don't exactly love, mm. but it still affects the way that you interpret the world for the rest of your life in a positive way. Yeah. Yeah, I would not recommend this to anybody looking to take their mind off things after work. Um, I would, yeah, I think that's a fair analogy. It is more like an exhibit than uh, a flick. Yeah. (laughs) 
Those are my favorite. I love the flicks. <laughs> you do like flicks. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm eager to see just this approach applied to other places. Um, I was just like scanning the other topics or the other documentaries that he's made, like you know everything from like ballet to a mental institution. You know, it's pretty comprehensive as you would expect from this documentary. Um, Ooh, double feature Unsane in the Mental Institute. Ah, there you go. Nice. <laughs> um, so I think uh, it is an, an effective approach, even if it is kind of exhausting. I don't, it's that sounds maybe exhausting. overly critical, but. Yeah. No, no, I, I think you have to have, I think it would be useful to have a strong constitution before you begin mm. this. Mm-hmm. Because it it is deeply affecting intellectually and gross, yeah. Um, visually, with what happens to animals, um, and just exhausting um, because of some of the longer single shots. Yeah, but it's it's still. I re- I don't like to use the term important for films because mm. I think it. I think it can get a little bit pompous. Mm. when we talk about how Suspiria is one of the most important films of 2018, you know, like that's going to sound pompous to anybody that doesn't like it. Yeah. But I think maybe this is an important film for documentaries. I think this is an important documentary um, for anyone ever moving forward in time because it can tell you what a city was like in 2017 and 2018 in the middle of rural America. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of thought to myself at times, like, I wish Wiseman had been around forever so that I could watch what he made in, like... 1920. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just, like, that would give me a better sense of what it felt like to live in the 20s than any other movie made now about the 20s, right? Um, so, keep at it, Frederick. <laughs> keep at it. And with that, we will cheers, recommend this title, and move yeah. on to the house. The Jack Belt. Are you allowed to speak along the way? I was thinking there might be rules. Let me put it this way. Very few make it all the way without uttering a word. But do carry on merrily. Just don't believe you're going to tell me something I haven't heard before. If you feel like screaming, I definitely can take your shirt. <laughs> Nobody wants the help! It was a comedy. You were laughing often. I laughed a lot. You did not laugh, but twice. Do I remember that correctly? A handful of times. Yeah. Like at one point, it was so absurd that you didn't know how to not laugh. If I remember I think that's correctly. Accurate. And then, uh, like maybe one other moment really got you to laugh, but I don't remember you chortling nearly as much as me. In fact, the crowd did not chortle quite. Not as, as much as, as I me. expected. Yeah. Um, um, we can dive into individual sections but i just since we're talking about comedy i think the second incident where he's mm-hmm. pretending to be a police officer mm-hmm. maybe one of the funnier moments for yes. me as i'm just recollecting when i did laugh out loud well i think that was maybe it was the intro funny or was the outro even funnier i don't think i was laughing out loud at the outro um, no 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 i mean the outro of episode two Oh, got it, got it. In which she is in a tarp being dragged behind him, and then the proverbial rain begins to pour. Easily the funniest moment in the movie for me. Okay. For sure. Laughing out loud, wholeheartedly enjoyed it. Good. Yes. Good. 
Um, so this movie makes no qualms about its corollary to the magnum opus of Dante Alighieri, The Divine Comedy. Mm. It has Virgil, mm-hmm. who is the guide to Dante in mm. Divine Comedy, as mm. the guide to Matt Dillon's Jack. Um, it has a very similar structure. Mm. Um, it, in fact, goes to the ninth circle of hell and shows him the exit at the very end in which he could just climb around and make it. Didn't quite make and it. And he thinks he can. Um, I think one crucial thing is that i saw this as a kind of a scathing self-reflection by von Mm. trier of himself Mm. and you did not is that correct that's the sense i got from our um conversation in the parking lot yeah we had very briefly immediately after watching it talked about like whether or not jack is von trier i feel like it was just me yelling at you about how i loved it and then me feeling really bad about yelling at you it was passionate passions were there um and for vast majority of the film i definitely felt like jack was this vessel through which von trier's um expressing himself um the only time like i was the reason why i was hesitant to commit to that right on right in the moment was as i was thinking about certain bits of the dialogue when he's talking about um like hitler and i think like mussolini as artists or something like that oh i thought he was Um, interesting i I was interpreting him saying like that socialism is the best way to kill people en masse well understood um i guess i just i i i lost his like train of thought there and i'm like i don't like i think you're making a pretty bold claim about some pretty evil dudes so i'm not quite sure if you are letting this sociopath make make this claim or if this is still von trier talking i'm like this is e- oh. easily like the most that's like, where i got off track thing not i was like track, what's your point yeah yeah so as soon as you asked me like do you think jack is von trier that's what came to mind and i was like mm. I, maybe that was him i'm not sure what his point was so i'm hesitant to to say that's him because it's it's quite provocative to use that word just go ahead and get that over with um and that left me a little unsure. Wait, are you saying the house that Jack built is a provocative film? I'm going there. That, is that only, daring or what? He only kills two children. I know. I he know. only cuts off two breasts. I guess that's kind of soft. He doesn't even kill the men at the end. You're right. He went soft on us. Um, quite, quite a bit of this film, I wish that you had seen his previous films for. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot that I would like to ask you. Mm-hmm. Um specifically about um that double feature he did with um shoot what dogville and what was the sequel to that with bryce dallas howard reprising nicole kidman's role that manderley yes i haven't um, seen that one either yeah there there is something um that he does which is deeply offensive and troubling mm. but perhaps um in those movies not entirely untrue about some eternal truths he speaks to about the way that humans behave Mm. um and there seems to be a corollary between the end in which the um african-american asks him or tells him that is not full metal jacket Mm. 
and then they all end up living. All the men end up living mm. with the gun pointed at their heads because of what he does. And that is kind of a creep back to either Manderley or Dogville. I think Dogville specifically. Um, and like it's really troubling to even bring up mm. because it's Von Trier and he's using extremely um, provocative racism. Mm. Right? But there, there is a a corollary mm. and there's a corollary to the fact that he kills all of his women or at least mm. beats them mm. um and that's why i saw jack as a reflection of lars because yeah, yeah. all the women die some more mm. brutally than others but they all die and he he figures out how to twist them into something he mm. figures out how to make the boy into something more jeering um, mm. I have been watching quite a few short films this year and as a consequence have watched all of his um, films that he made which were all short films before he was 18 mm. um, and there is quite a bit in that hunting scene mm. tied to those short films Incident 3 yeah um, and, and I can't really draw out more I can just say like if you're going to watch this film or you liked this film and you want more, go mm. on Letterboxd, look up Lars von Trier, and then mm. there should be um, all the titles there. And in the comments, there should be either my links or someone else's links mm. to those titles because there, there is a huge meta-conversation happening beyond mm. the Divine Comedy, Virgil, Dante Alighieri thing happening. There's him reckoning with himself into mm -hmm. the shame I think that when he goes to try to pay for that bullet that he needs and he mm. pulls out Riley Cow's breast wallet and mm. the money from the breast I think that that mm. is maybe the most scathing he gets on himself like there's mm. this rotting human flesh that he's taking the money out to buy the thing that he wants to show people with because he needs mm. the bullet to show people this cool scene and he doesn't get what he needs from it Mm. and I, I find that very interesting yeah like, like that he that he's interrogating himself on this level it was yeah. not only I, I mean the whole thing is interesting but I found that to be actually fascinating yeah that he was criticizing himself in that one area specifically that's kind of an interesting way to interpret that particular image him him uh, taking money out of this particular disturbing image which is kind of how he makes his living as a director mm -hmm. it specifically um, made me think of melancholia in which he gets kirsten mm. dunst topless i believe numerous times mm. before killing her entire planet mm. yeah um yeah i mean so as i've mentioned to you but not the listeners i've only seen a couple of his films uh, melancholia a long time ago nymphomaniac but only part one rated um, not unrated correct totally different films it'd be like yeah. watching the house that jack built rated yeah, Can you Which we don't know. Well, we don't know what that looks like. I, I guess do. yet, right? We don't, I don't know. You, what they'll show, you can't they won't show. cut off the breasts. Yeah, you can't kill the children. You can't disfigure the child. You can't have the child frozen with the smile. Like, it's a totally different movie. Yeah, um, and I've seen Antichrist. Um, so the, you know, the fact that it was self-referential, you know, was was clear to me. But whether or not that he was really saying any of this with much conviction or sincerity, I kind of questioned. 
Um, mm. Just funny. That's what you said about shirkers, right? It's an issue of sincerity. Um, I, I, I just for a movie that was so heavily um, focused on coupling that voiceover dialogue and that conversation between him and Virgil, and Virgil with these stories um, implies to me like that he has so much to say and I just felt like this there wasn't that much there um, really? kind of yeah um, it felt I mean narrow minded is one phrase that comes to mind because it's mainly about his own work it can only ever be so good if you're only talking about your own work can I ask you a question yeah why isn't Shirker's narrow-minded then? Um, it's a fair question. Uh, I think she did a much better job of involving me in what this experience she's telling me about felt like. Um, I don't think he's really telling me about he's not. He's definitely not being specific to me about something. I don't know. I don't know that that's really a fair comparison. She's telling me about something she experienced, and I'm like... I completely get it. That sounds terrible. Um, in the house that Jack built, I think he's making some analogies um, and just making a movie like it was a written dialogue um, with more effort than I felt like there was actual material. Um, I think you disagree. No, I completely agree, and that's why I love it. Mm. They continuously go back to find the material and mm-hmm. the house will manifest. Mm-hmm. Until the very end, he doesn't realize what the material is. Mm. And he builds the house within a solid frozen structure. Mm-hmm. Which to me is a conversation about his filmmaking process and about releasing the films that he's released mm. to mm. Hollywood. Yeah. Um. And I think that maybe I'm just a lot more there for these types of, of um, oratories than you yeah. are. I really like oratories. Uh, like the day that I watched this, I had just finished The Sunshine Limited, which is a Cormac McCarthy um, audio play. Uh, not even intended to be read, but like you listen to it. And it's, yeah. it's uh, a white man who is saved by a black man. And the white man is called by his name and the black man is called the black by mm. the play. Mm. Um and that is also the style that Lars von Trier mm. has had within Dogville, mm. where he calls them by very derogatory, racist titles. Mm. Um, but he's still making a point, which is so horrendous and fascinating that it's mm. it's not just disgusting. It's it's something deeper than that because he mm. also comes through and makes like Danny Glover a true hero um, in mm. Dogville, mm. which is. Um, not something that I expected one minute before it happened. Uh, yeah. He makes such... His films are such interrogations of the human spirit and bias and, mm. and the most revolting facets of humanity. Um, and also jokes at you you being offended that I, I don't... I don't even feel comfortable talking about it. Like, I, mm. I don't even feel comfortable saying what he's done in his films. Mm. But they are absolute expressions of artistry that I think are important. And mm. um, it, it's just 
hard to really identify how I completely understand. Like, how do I use my words to say you shouldn't like this movie, but it's okay to love it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm thinking a little bit about how his work compares to somebody like Gaspard Noé, who isn't um, quite as grotesque, maybe. I think I think he kills a lot less people. Von Trier kind of takes it and to a new level. And he doesn't do anything to women. It's just that insightful here is. to say that he kind of takes it to a new level in this particular film. Um, um, but Well, you didn't see Nymphomaniac. True. Um, but yeah, I don't... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't think of... Um, anything that Noe has made. Even in Irreversible, the the rape scene in the alleyway, it still feels like there is a distance there between what um, Von Trier provides between us and his acts on screen. Um, I feel like by just talking so much about provocation and um the value of um, revolting art in the way he does is sort of unnecessary if you just tell a story and believe in that uh, having value. Like, I think that's what Gaspar Noe does. No, that's interesting. I think that... I, I don't think that Von Trier knows how to make a story without going back to these basic ideas of brutally mm. murdering a woman. Mm-hmm. or having her get raped mm-hmm. or having her enjoy a rape I think that, that he is um, aware that he is unable to create a project in which he does not become fascinated with how a woman feels about something happening to her mm-hmm. um, and that is you're right that is his artistic limit mm-hmm. but I think that he also knows that's his artistic limit and he's trying to He's trying to express that he doesn't know why either. Hmm. I don't know if that's that interesting to me. Uh, for a director... I, well, I, I agree. I, I think that if you don't like... I think that if someone makes a myopic work of art, you can't be interested unless you like their other works of art. And if you didn't mm. like the other works of art, why would you like something even more myopic and self-serving? Yeah, I mean, maybe, I, I, I think it is partly just due to the um, formal approach here. Like, th- I think there are some visual ideas that I thought were stunning and that have, like, actually made me very close to upping my rating. Like, uh, his talk about the negative and finding lightness in the dark of the image. Um, that is just a terrific, I think, visual metaphor for what he's doing thematically. Um, what about the end? Um, no, 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 no. Exactly what you're saying. What about that end shot? When yeah. Matt Dillon falls and then the negative fades in. Did, is that working more for you now? Idea-wise, yes. But, like, I don't know that Von Trier as a visual stylist, like, really does much for me. Like, I don't think that any of that outro looked great. I, I, I just think it... None of those struck me as, like, fascinating. Have you ever seen This is the End? The, uh, Seth Rogen movie? Yeah. Yeah, long time ago. The images looked the same to me. Mm. In a good way. Yeah, in a comedy way. Mm, Like, I felt like that's how we've all thought about 
some of the things that are in the Divine Comedy. When we mm. hear about the landscapes being described, mm. those are kind of the loose images that I would conjure. Mm. And, and that I would say everyone conjures. Of the columns, of, of the paths. Mm. Um, so, I, I mean, maybe there is good criticism there, but for me i can't see it because i'm i'm just like that i i see i've seen what he's showing me before and i yeah. like it um and i i thought one of the most breathtaking visuals mixed in with sound was the scythe oh yeah yeah of, of the, the fields uh, being yeah. cleared yeah when the field's breathing yeah yeah um there were moments like that that would agree um that were like visually appealing to me um, but I don't know for too much of the movie. I felt my, I felt like I doubted his ability to just compose like great shots. Um, to me, I, like, I just, I, I don't, I don't it know. It definitely that I would... was a closer yeah. film than, than like, a, like you're not, you're not going to get a great shot cause it's very close up body work. Yeah. 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 More close ups than any wide or medium shots even yeah it's mostly on I mean, it's a lot on jack's face until we see what he did which mm-hmm. is usually pretty gnarly um matt dylan i did like quite a bit um this is what, like i don't know this is when ratings kind of fall apart for me because it's like there are things that i liked there are things i didn't like like it's hard to put them together um i don't know that i would change a lot about his performance and I think that is critical to this succeeding. Um, and when I did laugh, I think I was laughing pretty hard. Um, I just found myself skeptical about like the, the brilliance of some of these ideas that I think I felt like him saying, I felt like it was him trying to prove he is self-aware when I felt like he doesn't need to do that. He just needs to make a movie. Like, what would we lose if this was just a movie about Jack? We would lose the movie. I don't think Lars is in a place to make this movie without it being a reflection on his own self. I I don't know that I could... I don't know that... I can't help but envision this movie. I would be interested to see what this plays like had he just taken a more straightforward approach kind of coupled with some of these visual metaphors that he has like the negative um like jack turning this into an art for himself and the idea of finding a sort of morbid beauty in things like that itself is very provocative right like why is any of that beautiful well it's for me it's partly because it makes you as a viewer feel feel alive um and I don't know, you know, maybe just because of how dense it is with that voiceover, um, it's the kind of thing that just might reward multiple viewings as you kind of just get get more involved with that dialogue yourself. Um, Because the first time, I mean, I'd be lying if I was, if I said there weren't times where I was just thinking to myself, my God, that is gnarly, right? And that kind of means you just have to revisit it and see what um he's doing all this for 
were you ever sickened by the imagery? Mm, yes. Okay. Yep. I was never sickened. And I, I don't like to say that because that sounds like I'm like a bad person. No, it I, really I does sound like that. But Monrovia actually sickened me. Mm. This did not sicken me. Even when I knew that what was happening was terrible, I was just like, that's hilariously gross. Like, that boy's leg is not the way that boy's leg should be. But mm. the way that the imagery was shot and, and um, edited mm. afterwards never felt super real. Ah, I would agree. So I was allowed, I felt like I was allowed to laugh because I knew mm. that this wasn't real. I could completely sus- suspend belief mm-hmm. and just live in disbelief. Mm-hmm. which is the only way that I think you can unlock the laugh track internally mm-hmm. for this movie. Yeah. And because yeah. Uma Thurman's head has clearly got paint on it, and mm-hmm. that is just CG making a hole in the middle of her head, yeah. it's okay to laugh at the fact that there's not even a brain in the black hole. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like there's there's a lot of murderous joke happening that yeah. I think um, if the viscero was more real, Mm-hmm. wouldn't have been unlocked but because it was so unreal i was able to find the laugh track well yeah that's the thing like to me it i don't know that i would call it unreal like to me it was realistic but there was if i if i was to criticize myself and suggesting that he should have just made this a straightforward narrative about jack being a serial killer the problem with that might be that he would remove some of that kind of like critical distance and you wouldn't be able to laugh at it anymore. It, w- it would feel too just direct, I guess. I would yeah. agree. There is sort of this artifice that despite us being able to describe these things like they were the most awful things we ever saw, they don't quite feel like that because of this kind of perspective we're yeah, getting. Yeah, like if, if I had to explain what happened to people in this movie... Yeah. To other people, it would sound like the worst movie ever. Yeah. But if I told you what the worst images were in a movie this year, this would not come up. Yeah. This would come up in the funniest images of the year, even though all the images are of death. Yeah. Which I think is, personally for me, I'm getting a lot out of how he turned this film into a reflection of the divine comedy for Mm. himself and took himself through the nine circles of hell and use this to criticize himself um, and really interrogate his own um, internal veins and in, in mm. what it is that makes him tick as an artist. I, I hear the criticism you're making and how you want him to be able to make this as an original film, but I don't, I, I don't think you're taking into account that he, as an artist, has to be able to access how to mm. write this screenplay. And the way that he comes to writing the screenplay is a reflection and interrogation of his own work. Mm. He didn't come to it as just a separate story. He had to mm. to interrogate his own process. And I think that that's what happens in Moby Dick, in Dante Alighieri's The Divine Comedy, in Faust. Um, mm. You know, in um, maybe the brothers Karamazov even Dostoevsky mm. is criticizing himself I think that you have to be able in these giant opuses you have to as an author criticize yourself or else you lose a, a level of resolution 
mm. of truth for the project. I think this mm. is even true of Stephen King's The Dark Tower. If he wouldn't have made himself a character that got to interact with Roland, I don't know that we would have ever gotten book seven. Like, I think that mm. he had to bring himself into the story. Mm. And I think that with anything this big, you either have to be the character or that character has to interact with you. Mm. Or with you as another character. And I think that Jack mm. was the character, but I also think Virgil was mm. him. I, I think that he was both halves. And I think yeah. that Lars kind of guided himself to his ego. You know, like his id yeah. took his ego on a ride. And he yeah. said, his ego was like, what's what's that bridge that's yeah. broken off? No one's ever made it, but if you climb across, you get to go to heaven. You're on level six. Mm. And then his ego goes, we'll make it. We can go. And I feel like that's what that movie is. I feel yeah. like that movie is his ego saying no we can go to heaven yeah yeah uh i guess maybe it's just a reservation about having already established himself as this provocateur to their like it makes it that much harder to kind of give him credit as now an apologist or a person critiquing himself because that seems like the only next thing he could do to draw attention to himself why like Hmm. the only thing a narcissist can do to draw attention away from themselves is talk about somebody other than themselves. Um, so I don't. You don't think he did that with Charlotte Gainsbourg and *Nymphomaniac*? It's been too long since I've seen that. That's possible. Yeah, that's fair. Maybe, maybe, maybe he has done that in that in other works. Maybe I would rate those higher than this one. Um, I mean, I I would say that Stellan Skarsgård is him in Nymphomaniac mm. and that Charlotte Gainsbourg is all of his women that he's ever put in a film conglomerated together. Yeah. And then what happens as a procedural I yeah. found fascinating. I would put it in the vein of uh, the Millennium series mm. that Numi Rapaz did um, in the Netherlands, I think. Or yeah. Regardless, Sweden. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess... I feel like I'm on the outside looking in because it seems like most people haven't gotten more out of it than me. So maybe it just really has to do with having experienced more of his filmography. But um, to me, there is just something not particularly cinematic about um, this self-reflexive approach. Um, Like this versus, say, The Other Side of the Wind, where we can argue at length about the extent to which um, John Huston's character is Orson Welles. And to me, that's what enriches that experience. That is that is that ambiguity. Whereas here, there is it, a huge it, amount of distance. Yeah, um, and uh, I think this these conversations might be even more fun to me if it was not so clear when we're hearing von Trier and when we're not. Even though, like, I'm kind of doing that a little bit with Jack. Um, I I just think a more conventional approach might have been the most provocative thing to do in a way in light of what he's already done you you might be right i think that i just i i found a tremendous amount of honesty in this film and i really value honesty in film um and the way that i can interpret this in multiple ways the way that i could with mother last year yeah um is 
to me makes it an incredibly useful cornerstone just as a film in his work and as a film mm-hmm. this year like yeah i i i could spend endless hours thinking about is virgil von trier or not yeah as well because if mm-hmm. virgil is von trier and what if virgil is von trier and jack is just one of the von Triers? yeah what if what he's really saying is that virgil is the deepest him and that mm. Virgil always guides him to this mm. bridge where he falls and dies because of his ego trying yeah. to make this perfect film and it never works out yeah. and then Virgil goes back to find the next soul to guide through the tunnels yeah. to try to make it again Yeah. and will the next one be one that's a little bit better and will it be because he didn't try to climb across the edge and reach heaven but he went back to level six yeah like that's it's a as a metatextual interrogation on all these ideas it's just deeply fascinating to me yeah like i would love to talk about i, I would love to rewatch this unrated version and mother and then just sit in a cafe with you and talk for 12 hours yeah like yeah. It, it's just one of those this is one of those movies where you could just keep going and say okay I buy that but what if that's not true yeah and then two yeah. more hours of conversation unlock yeah uh, it, it's one that I could easily see myself kind of swinging one way or the other on later down the road as I become more familiar with him and maybe just become a little more open to it um, anytime there is something this kind of self-centered um, I can't, I just can't, that's, maybe that's just me. I can't help be kind of skeptical. Like to me, I, I just have a high bar for somebody talking about themselves for that long. That's okay. Uh, we just yeah. differ because yeah. I think that Sandy Tan talked about herself and you don't. It's true. But um, it's true. <laughs> um, There's just different markers for what you're willing yeah. to buy into, I think. Um, and I mean anyone for what anyone's willing to buy into. Like there's just yeah. different markers. I think the first time I watched Antichrist, I was mm. like, no. Just no. Willem Dafoe, yeah. no. And then I, I watched it again, I think two years ago, and it, it opened up a little bit more to me. Yeah. Because I, I mm. was less closed off going into it. But I, I think it mm. does. I think Von Trier's films, more than any other director, completely depend on if you come in embracing and open or yeah. if you come in closed off. Yeah. Because if you yeah. come in closed off, it's not going to open up because it's just going to yeah. get more harsh and more brutal. Dogville, I actually stopped watching 30 minutes in, turned it off, came back to it a month later with like an intention to be open to the film and completely restarted it. Mm. Because I, the first time I watched it, I was just like, I, I can't do this. Yeah. There's basically no setting. There's tape mm-hmm. on the floor. So you have to like be willing to suspend your disbelief and also keep up with dialogue yeah and what setting is which and that she's actually in a cave right now even though she's in the open and like um so i i definitely have been where you're at yeah and and i would say that you might be right i don't know (laughs) i'm really trying to think hard now about why i was more open to shirkers than this one considering they both are made by directors talking about themselves um 
One is an actual film, one is a documentary. I think it might have to do with the specificity of experience in Shirkers. Um, it was very easy for me Hold to on. relate. Are you saying Von Trier hasn't actually killed all these people? That is exactly what I'm saying. He's you a heard phony. It first, he is a He's phony. He's a phony. <laughs> Has not killed anyone. Uh, and his established established reputation um, that he is clearly riffing on. Um, that's why, like, I can't quite put them together i think sandy tan's just saying i had this thing happen it sucked von trier has earned this reputation as a person deliberately trying to push people's buttons and i kind of feel like do you really think that yeah i kind of do okay i don't know you don't think so i i i don't no Mm. i think that young Von Trier, yeah, '90s Von Trier, mm-hmm. the Von Trier that made Dogville, mm-hmm. yeah, the Von Trier that made Manderley, no, no, I, I think yeah. something happened between 1998 and 2004, where he became humble and he realized mm. that that um, or he was humbled. He didn't become humble. I don't, I wouldn't mm. call him a humble person, but I think that he was humbled through life experience, through pulled funding, through the fact that Nicole Kidman would not continue. He had the cast Bryce Dallas Howard um, to reprise that role. I think that he realized that making films is um, a blessing, not a curse. Mm. And I think that maybe before he was making films as if they were a curse and he was blessing you with them. Mm. And now he's making them as if they are a blessing and presenting them as curses. Mm. That's interesting. Um, Yeah, I mean... Would you would you recommend it to people who haven't seen most of his other work? Uh, it depends on the person. I kind of agree. Um, mm. I I think that are you talking about this film or him? This film, the this House of Jack film. I don't think I don't think so. I don't mm. think so. I think that um, in order to watch Von Trier, you should be over thirteen minimum, probably over sixteen, mm. um, yeah. unless you're very um, good at sleeping. <laughs> right. Um, because the imagery and the context does get quite volatile. But I think that necessary viewing beforehand for this would be Dogville, Manderley, and Nymphomaniac unrated, mm-hmm. both versions. I, I don't think that you can comprehend the journey of him and his female characters without mm-hmm. those two films that are supposed to have the same protagonist that are portrayed by two different actresses which he did mm. not count on, and then the evolution to Charlotte Gainsbourg. Mm. Um, and all, all I can say is the evolution to Charlotte Gainsbourg, and then mm. this, because there is a clear through line gotcha. of what happens. Yeah. I think Melancholia is great extra textually. Antichrist is not really that useful, except for part three, where he yep. kills children. Um, if you get to see the unrated version. I'd say that's the most crucial. And then if you want to understand his comedy, you do need to watch The Idiots, mm. which I think was a 1995 mm. release. That's early. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, Not as early as Yeah. I mean, I'm ragging on it hard, and I haven't talked about anything that I liked, which is the comedy, which I think does work quite well at times when he does manage to kind of create this weird distance between you as a viewer and what you're actually watching. Um, and I think that is kind of a hilarious setup that when Jack says 
he's a policeman. She won't let him in. Once he's an insurance man, oh, fine, come on in. How ironic. Like, the irony in that is hilarious. You said you can double my insurance rate? Yeah. Come on in. Great moment. Hilarious. Uh, And I just cannot help but watch that scene and think about her in Men in Black. Mm-hmm. Right when she's yeah, she's the wife of the man who loves sugar. Exactly, yeah, yeah, she yeah. has that same ex- same expression of just like kind of confusion, but also interested in what you have to offer or something like that. Um, she's great, mm-hmm. and and then it gets disturbing. I mean, I I was despite that distance, I was disturbed as I watched her die. That's, and then, that's the difference. I never got disturbed by this movie. No? I think maybe the most disturbing thing was when he whistled before he shot the mother in the back. Mm. That did bother me a little bit. Um, mm. Not like, I'm offended by the film, but like, ooh, that's nasty. Mm. You know? Like, that's just a dirty thing to do. Like, mm. if you're playing a video game, I think that you know that what's happening isn't real, but it still bothers you when it happens. Mm. It's yeah. that yeah and then to cap off that incident with him after going back and forth between the car and the house trying to clean everything up only to drag blood across the town like that is like that is a visual gag that is great that's hilarious right um so with the music cue as well right the the david bowie right okay so this is where i ask you is this an adapted screenplay or an original Mm. screenplay it's an original screenplay, right? Do you disagree? I don't know. That's why I think it's an interesting question. Mm. Because it is so deeply influenced by the Divine Comedy. Mm. Because just... Virgil is he, is there from the get-go. Yeah. Yeah, I I think he just puts enough I think it's new material there. I don't know. Um, no, there's I lots of new argument. material, but like yeah. none of it exists without this old book. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like it's an interpretation of this great old book by this guy who's interrogating himself, trying to use the old book to interrogate himself, which is also like, to me at least, a meta conversation about what we do with books like the Torah or the Bible. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's just fascinating uh, to yeah. continue to interpret this film. Yeah. Um We've talked about Riley Keough on other episodes, I think. Did you mm-hmm. like her here? I did. I was going to ask you, who's your favorite murderess? Who, who's your favorite person mm. that got murdered? Probably Uma Thurman, actually. Uma. Right off the gate. Right really? off the bat. She yeah. was the most distasteful to me. Really? She's too lippy. Mm. <laughs> wow, that, that is what Jack would say. <laughs> I know. No, she, she just kept saying, uh, you see, like, she's the one that started it all. Right, like because she was so abrasive, mm. um, and, and I think that's what Lars wants you to wants you to to take away. Mm-hmm. I think that that he loves that someone can make the argument that this is all her fault, mm. because that's what Lars would would maybe want to say of the muses that construe his vision. Yeah, it's not my fault. That's how the film turned out. It's all her fault he would say of a character within his film in a good that's a good thing i i don't think you can say it's a good thing or a bad thing i just think it's an interesting Mm. thing got it okay uh yeah that makes sense um 
I watched that scene thinking about Uma Thurman and like her history with Quentin Tarantino. Me too. Kill Bill. Uh, yeah. Right. And uh, I think I sent you some Im- images by a text of her. Yeah, you did. It was just a weird uh, to th- to bring that baggage with you and think about uh, what she's talked about in her experience with Quentin Tarantino and how uncomfortable she was in certain scenes. You mean um, a car crash? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, because um, like he hasn't done anything sexually. No, definitely not. No. But he, I do remember he that car crash fucked where up with the car crash. He kind of like pressured her into it, mm-hmm. and she was uncomfortable. Um, and now I she's just, got lasting injuries. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Von Trier is leveraging that here, um, but I just couldn't help but bring it to this scene and sort of um, appreciate she was nonetheless like in a car. Yeah, and willing to do something um, that that just invited the brutality. Um, I I really just kind of appreciated it and thought her performance was kind of hilarious. As and you're great. describing this, it's just making me smile and giddy. <laughs> I know, which which is which is weird. I have a question. Um, do you think Margot Robbie has a non-car clause in her contract for Once Upon a Time? Probably. Uma probably called her and was like, don't get into any cars. No vehicles. <laughs> don't do it. She was up there, Uma Thurman, as a favorite. Um, I think I think for me, just to interject, yeah. Chow is my favorite performance yeah? from, a, from a gal. Um, she has such a deep range. Mm. Uh, I know you didn't like her in Hold the Dark, but I, I think that of all the actresses I've seen this year... Uh, Kiao, I think, is at four mm. titles. I, I don't remember all of them. I think one was this movie where she's a sister and she gets in a car and there's like a car crash. I watched it on Hulu in like March. We talked about it before we ever started the podcast. It's one of those indie movies that I told you to get Hulu for. I got nothing. It's got Jennifer Garner in it, maybe. Um, Riley Keough was in a car crash? That's how it started? No, it's like how it ends. No, she like watches her brother get in a car crash or something. I got nothing. It's this weird indie movie that she was in. You'll know it. Next time I see you, you'll go... It's gonna drive me nuts. This is the movie. <laughs> um, and then she was in Hold the Dark, obviously, in this, this yep. film. And then she should have been in Under the Silver Lake this year. And then she was in a couple others. But I think that the range that she's capable of exhibiting and specifically what she can do with her eyes mm. is crucial. Yeah. Like it's 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 one of the best things happening um for acting right now other than yeah. Claire Foy taking roles as a supporting actress. Yeah. Um I mean I I I am just impressed by her willingness to kind of um expose herself like she does. I don't know that that's that insightful. Um, but uh, I just have trouble comprehending what it feels like as an actress to kind of put yourself in that situation, which makes me actually really interested in what it's like to be on a Von Trier set um, to stage these. Have you listened to many interviews with him? Not in the last year. Yeah. I I did... um, When I was doing Nymphomaniac, which I, I did those in 20, 
16, mm. I think. I ran through both those. Yeah. So it's been a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, he'd be an interesting guy at some point. Maybe in the spring, because that's when we do in all things to revisit. Um, even though you've seen, I, I guess you've seen most of his filmography. Yeah, there's there's certain titles I would specifically be interested in revisiting. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when I think of Entry, I also think about that um, Dogma 95 mm-hmm. initiative. Um, you know, the commitment to shooting on location, um, expressing a personal vision. Like, to see how that sort of um, philosophy has sort of uh, run throughout his work. That's not really, like, how I approach his movies now because I don't know his filmography in total. Um, It'd be fun to read that in total and then kind of, like, come back to it and see Mm -hmm. if that changes my thoughts on him. Um, It would be... Yeah, maybe we'll do a... Well, we'll we'll see if the spring shapes up. I don't I don't want to make any lasting plans. We Correct. we've already got our our kung fu future. We do. We've got our sci-fi spring. Um, I I don't want to tag on too many extras <laughs> with the new releases that we have. We coming. do have summer, fall, winter in 2019. <laughs> well, fall and winter are booked for the 2019 Correct. major releases. So <laughs> this is true. We've got spring and summer. Oh, that's all we've got. We can come back. Um. So I guess. Do you feel like Jack took a journey from the beginning to the end? I think he took a journey, but for me, it was a clunky journey. Um, I don't think that this sort of five, six act structure, I think it was five plus an epilogue, um, was really smooth to me. To me, I would have involved myself a bit more in how he evolved and how that attaches to Von Trier's concerns had this just flown like a more kind of traditional narrative. Um, So, yes and no. Okay. You? Um, No, that's interesting. Um, So you gave us Suspiria, which has a prologue and an epilogue in six acts. Four and a half. But we, I, if I remember correctly, we both agreed that the epilogue and the prologue are troublesome to mm-hmm. the film. Mm-hmm. For me, I deviate here in that the clunkiness, mm-hmm. I thought, was contributive to the artistic vision. Mm. Like, I thought that he knew what he was doing and that its clunkiness kind of fed off of itself. Mm. Like, I, I can't describe how much I'm pairing this film with the Divine Comedy. Like, the Mm. whole thing is a comedy to me. Mm. Like, it's a brutal, crucial, terrible comedy. But it's all Mm. comedy. Mm. And the fact that Act 4 is, like, the shortest part. Is that right? Or is it Act 5? No, it's Act 4. Right? Act 4 when he just, like, kills the girl that falls in love with him. Yeah. And then realizes he takes shitty photos. Yeah. And then brings her back with the other girl and takes photos. It's like 15 minutes or something. And then Act yeah. 5 with Riley Cow is like half an hour or 45 minutes or something. Like, yeah. I, I love how it, how it 
um, sets you up with an expectation and then totally deviates mm. from yeah. it. Uh, it. It's. I just love Von Trier. What can I say? Well, in in relation to Suspiria, I think you could easily just lift out those title cards, and it would play exactly the same. I do think that that's sort of just an an aesthetic. Um, touch. I don't know that. You think the prologue and the epilogue? No, no, no. I mean, like the title cards, like the fact yeah, that no, he's I'm even not, dividing. I'm not talking them. about the title cards. I'm talking about. Yeah. I just listened to the podcast because I edited mm. it. Yeah. So you yeah. might not remember, but we both agreed that the prologue and the epilogue, in which mm. the psychiatrist is spent the most of the time mm. by the picture, is the weakest point. And mm. that you can take small chunks from it and interject mm. those in the beginning and ending of the full sequence of the film. Yeah. And it's a yeah. stronger film without the prologue and epilogue. Gotcha, gotcha. And I'm saying um, that while we agree on that weakness, the weakness in this film, I, I didn't feel the act weakness. I felt like mm. the weakness is true, but it's also... Mm a tool that he's using for the picture to Ah. build and criticize itself within the picture. Ah, okay. I I kept feeling him revisiting those moments. Got it. I think that's where we deviate. I couldn't help but think he might just not know how to fill in these gaps and therefore has to Mm. divide this into chapters because he can't just draw a straightforward arc. No. Completely disagree. Completely disagree. I I agree that we disagree. (laughs) I think you need to rewatch Melancholia, Mm. Dogville, Manderlay, Mm. Nymphomaniac, Unrated Parts 1 and 2. Unless that that only excuses it in the context of his work. I think Mm -hmm. I might be criticizing him as a director. Like Oh, that's fine. That's like that's but that's part of film criticism is like who are the great artists? But how do you... Okay. How do you watch a Barry Jenkins picture and not remember all the Barry Jenkins pictures? I watched Moonlight. I've never seen a Barry Jenkins picture. Steve McQueen. I watched 12 Years a Slave. I've never seen any other Steve McQueen pictures. <laughs> you never seen Shame? Not until I afterwards. I don't know that. Um, never seen Hunger. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know then. When I watch movies, I'm absolutely biased by what I've seen before. Mm. Um, because I'm thinking like, okay, Ridley, what are you doing? That mm. that is di- like I was absolutely fascinated by what was that Michelle Williams picture with Mark Wahlberg? A Ridley Scott one? Yeah, didn't all Ridley the money Scott? In the world? Yeah, all the money in yeah. the world. When I was halfway through watching that, I had this distant thought in the back of my head, like, this is the motherfucker that made Gladiator, and he makes the Alien movies. Mm. He made the James Franco Alien movie. What yeah. the fuck is going on? And, and, like, I was able to appreciate how he's able to deviate his landscape um, panning shots mm. on on off-world, like, alien things and also on, like, this little villa. Yeah. And, and that there's a correlation there. Yeah. Um, and with Lars von Trier, when I was inside the freezer, I was thinking Manderlei. I was thinking Dogville. Mm. Yeah. When I'm outside, I'm thinking nymphomaniac. I'm thinking melancholia, antichrist, idiots. Um, yeah, there there is something bigger that's informed by everything else. It's like 
if you read The Hobbit, it's not that you can't read it without reading Lord of the Rings. It's that if you read them all in context, there is more to it. Yeah. Well, only to go back to the quote at the start of our podcast. You know, the object looks different depending on where you're standing. You are at the other end of the object. You have all this other information I don't have. We're at opposite end. Cheers. <laughs> so our next podcast is going to have some titles. I feel like we're at the logical conclusion of Von Trier. Um, I think so. Which has no logical conclusion. Correct. Therefore, we'll end now. Cheers. The titles we're going to see are... First on deck, we have Creed 2. We have When Jeff Tried to Save the World. Do you want to talk a little bit about that title? Uh, it's got John Heater. It's got uh, Gary Gergich or Jerry Gergich, depending on how you know him, from Parks and Recreation. And uh, it's currently in the festival circuit. I think by the time we release the podcast about it, it will be out um, for digital download and digital release. And perhaps still at a um, smaller venue theater within LA. I'm not sure. I'll have to check. Awesome. And if we have time to catch it, we will do Roma. If not, we'll talk about The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. And lastly, a Netflix title called The World is Yours by Romain Gavris. Which anyone can watch on Netflix in America at least. There you go. Until next week. Let's finish this winter ale, huh? Let's do it. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant. And scene. Scene. Mice and scene? The mice are in the scene! <laughs>